Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. Hi everyone, thank you for coming to the show. Kindly allow me to introduce my guest for today, Jaya or Dr. Jayaratnam Pillay. Jaya is the Chief Innovation and Data Science Officer. He has run his own technology startup company and consultancy firm offering regional experience in providing analytical and data science work for companies and government agency in the likes of United Nations, Asia Development Bank, you know, and also particularly specializing in developing strategic decisions using economics, data analytics, and artificial intelligence. Jaya has done over 20 analytics-related projects and widely published papers in economic policy, digital transformation, and entrepreneurship, while working and living in 11 international cities. He has expert-level advisory experience in deploying end-to-end data engineering and data systems. In addition, he has obtained his PhD in economics from the Australian National University. Let's put our hands to welcome Jaya. Thank you very much, Andrew, for having me part of your podcast. It's such a pleasant surprise. I'm pretty good. Okay, so the purpose of this podcast is to really understand topics in AI or artificial intelligence, understand digital transformation, and also understand about your story. So, yeah, okay, so you mentioned about, you know, the fact that digital transformation uh, it can be uh, affordable, people can save money, on digital transformation, there is definitely a need for business reinvention. It's not even a choice, it's a must. There will not be a new return to norm. So you pitch this case to a C-suite or a CEO, and he will come back to you and say, Jaya, I agree, come, let's do it. So my question to you here is, what do leaders or C-suite executives need to take note when they do digital transformation? The pandemic dramatically kind of accelerated the technology adoption across major, major industries. So in top of our mind, there was a particular study which surveyed uh, CEOs in the US companies, top CEOs, 77% reported that they told these companies to speed up digital transformer plans. 
Why? Because the whole entire decision making has completely crumbled during the periods of the pandemic, right? right. Uh, so, like Microsoft CEO kind of like highlighted, right? We have we have seen two years worth of digital transformation in two months. See, two years to two months. So, if companies want to make change, they can make change. Only the fact that usually it takes six years to ten years to make major transformations. What is interesting is that this pandemic, a simple virus, has completely changed. Executives should actually concentrate and how their roles have been changed. It's like, for instance, I have several in my mind. Let me just say one or two of those, right? So, Chief Technological Officer, since I'm working on digital transformation and digital strategy, uh, is that in the past, CTOs uh, were the resident experts in the opportunities and limitations presented by new technologies. But now, CTOs go beyond that. They are called upon to lead company-wide digital transformation. That's a lot of work, right? Mm. They not only have to formulate new strategies, which means when I say new strategy, company decision-making, but more new digital strategies to incorporate in decision-making, right? There has to be a tune played in that uh, decision-making strategy, mm. right? Identifying areas where value can be created through the linkages between how technology and the rest of the business complement. Because it's becoming central role and how that can motivate and ally fellow employees. Remember, we just don't look at the top management. We have to go back to the ground. That's where the, the actual fellow employees are. How are they? Are they happy to embrace such changes? You just don't want to say, oh, tomorrow everyone needs to start using Python. Everyone must shift from using Microsoft to say uh, Linux. No, it doesn't happen like that, right? It's a gradual embracing of new initiatives and technologies. CTOs are very crucial in imbibing such interests. How do they cater and how do they develop that skill sets so that they are paid for that job? So they have to know how to do that. Yeah, you talk about this is this is very interesting about CIO, CTO. Um, so there's always two schools of thought. One is we centralize everything, like centralize the data set system, centralize the software, or either we go for extreme, we everything open source, right? And their argument is economy of scale, uh, manage costs. Uh, but then the challenge is that the CHR will say, hey, we couldn't find the talent to do this because it's in scarcity for a specific technology for a specific approach. Then um, the other extreme school of thought that the CTO or CIO will say, okay, these days talent is more important. Like we are aligned with the CHRO. We will get the best and the brightest to BYO. Bring your own stack. That means if you are a Python guy, bring your own Python. If you are a Stata guy, bring your own Stata. So bring whatever you can and as long as it's within the ecosystem that is allowed, we will empower you. So what is your viewpoint between these two schools of thought and where do you stand? I say it's more on the decentralized situation and I strongly believe in that is because just bringing a top guy to sit on boards or sit on main positions doesn't transform into uh, interesting ideas or interesting uh, processes or interesting developments. What we need is a balance. We have the right guy freshly out of uh, graduate school and a guy who is able to actually kind of like allow the slow development of more in training in person and catering those talents to the needs of the organization. Guidance. 
So we need a balance on both. Yes, we need good talent, but that doesn't mean that we should jump and grab the best talent out of MIT or NUS. Or so, mm -hmm. uh, the, so your hybrid is saying that, okay, we will bring the decentralized, the bring in some of these experts, and eventually uh, these experts will form a centralized stack, right? Am I saying yeah. it's from a decentralized to centralized over time so that yeah. you can have economy of skill and yet you have uh, accelerated skills transfer to the juniors yeah. over time. Am I going to say that? Sure. And job rotation is a very key area because what I have learned and experienced through my own uh, studies and at the same time application in the real world is that no one particular leader or management role knows it all. It's impossible, right? That's the reason why we have so many variety in terms of how digital transformation is looked at, right? You can be some guy who is actually just looking after documents, but that's the guy who knows what is the what these documents are leading to. He has the, uh, the huge influx of knowledge about the search documentation. Putting him in a, in a job rotation allows him to impart such skill sets, such understanding towards other different uh, departments, right? So job rotating is a crucial factor when we talk about this hybrid model, right? The ability to understand, comprehend all the skill sets and then go on to lead the company, but at the same time, turn back and say, we need to develop skill sets through job rotation. Responsibilities has to be shared. Responsibilities of different expectations have to be placed upon. This will inculcate this hybrid model of uh, acceptance, right? But it's not easy because embracing it doesn't take one person. You need the whole company. You need two hands to clap, right? So that's how I, I look at it. The two schools of thought, some might say centralizing, Increasingly, with this remote style of work, we need more decentralization. People are more happy when they are given responsibilities because they want to feel important. They don't want to be one of those who sits in the cubicle, crunches the number, or writes the document, or sends an email, and doesn't is not even looked into, right? I feel more responsibility allows people to actually enjoy their work a lot more. I see. So coming back, you just mentioned about, you know, let's say uh, C-suite uh, needs to take note that there's a need for digital transformation. We should mm. start with a decentralized approach, uh, hiring uh, mid-career guys or experts, and then groom mm. them to become a centralized approach to build and cement economy of skills, oh, enabling the job rotation, you know. Um, yes. And oh, okay, so coming back, let's say, you know, a C-suite or a CTO, uh, CHRO, uh, come in and tell you. So, Jaya, where do you see AI in the process of digital transformation? Well, if you look at digital transformation, right, uh, AI is using algorithms. So, digital transformation is the big block. But to get to that, we need to use the needs the tools to bring it up to transform digitally, digitally, right? Any processes. So AI is using algorithms to create or adjust processes or programs to take advantage into the insights. When I say customer data, that's the insight we need. So by actually digitizing those processes, when I say digitize, using machine learning models, AI, algorithms, these are being digitized, which actually mimics the human intelligence to identify and react to behaviors and events. 
when that is happening we have a so-called transformation right so digital transformation as it is doesn't just happen it's actually a long process it's a huge block which we just say ai neural networks machine learning you know modeling to create or modify customer experiences and culture business processes and tasks meet customers changing needs in the market because that's the most dynamic customers that's the base of any uh, company right when i say customers as i said it's just not only the household mass markets you're looking at uh, suppliers upstream downstream governments are customers so you need to have to look at all aspects of customers dynamic behavior um ai helps companies to innovate become more flexible and adapt if you have no correct data or data which is not organized that means it's all over the place you're going to have a hard time trying to develop this whole digital transformation platform mm. right you need to have all this properly catered for and looked after because these are crucial this data actually allows how your transformation how your tools can help you to make it better right you might be better but it can actually make it more efficient right so the most important is to there is no way to have artificial intelligence without having a clear defined data strategy mm. right there is no point in seriously talking about ai if we do not have data organized properly and companies which are staying ahead of the curve is those who are able to organize collect this data and protect it securely using it for their the purpose of actually getting the best out of their business models uh, that's 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 what it's crucial so you're just now saying am i right to say that uh, where is ai in the process of digital transformation you mentioned about you know figure out the business case or the business model and then going back to figure out you know what are the data that we need and then mm-hmm. going back to uh, the organization with IT or information technology to figure out mm-hmm. where is the data right and yes, how do you yes. clean the data structure it and then running applications of AI and machine learning so coming yes. back to that like uh, what are the applications or AI and machine learning that you have done in the course mm-hmm. of your career give us uh, two or three examples what kind of processes i have used uh, i gave you an example when i was working for this engineering company uh, where i used uh, develop a forecasting model on a for the shipping company where i kind of was able to predict a three months pricing strategy uh, but i was able to collect the vast amount of uh, or what do you call historical data mm. and manipulate it through using econometrics uh, database uh, uh for actually identifying the ups and downs and peaks of where shipping uh lines are affected through different uh, environmental issues right uh um, that's one to how logistics and supply is affected due to many policy related so it's a very multifunctional database itself a multifunctional uh, modeling and forecasting so that such companies which offer Uh, services are able to actually price their packages in a more uh, what you call more competitively so right. at the high level at the high level that you mentioned it was to help that client figure out what is the future price so the future price, um yeah. and so in the course of figuring out what is the price 
uh, you would have to figure out what drives the price, right? What is the input yeah. that will drive the output? But there's so many different uh, open source algorithm. Is there any uh, algorithm or any principle at just high level that you actually uh, use? You know? Yeah, I would I would say uh, as opposed to actually looking at a generalized model because such generalized packages never really help what the incentive for this uh, these particular companies are looking for. They want something which actually caters for their profit margin, right? They want they and because you have to cater such models to the kind of data and activities they do. So when, for instance, I could bring in the input of my modeling, right, and calculate a pattern where we could see. Uh, uh, what do you call it? distribution distributive trade, right? Mm, yes. But that's not the aim, right? It, it, you can't do that with companies specifically. We have to develop some kind of database where they can retrieve information, like, for instance, mm. uh, how, uh, what is the time period a single hull to a double hull transformation of a ship? Mm. How quick they can actually transform, right? That's one. How, where the patterns in the different shipyards, uh, yards where these ships are being transformed is affecting mm. the labor force, the existing uh, labor force there, the kind of training they have, the kind of, and of course you have to look at uh, things like, you know, uh, what are the, what is the rate at which such yards are able to churn out the new ships, the, the, the rate at which uh, they are able to put the, uh, what do you call, um, the, the, the materials in use so and w whether they have the existing materials for enhancing and quickening the process of changing the single hull to double hull ships right so and the rate at which all the shipping lines are actually able to actually go past their trading routes so there's that's one of the another area where i could say that's one kind of model yeah. where we, we build or build in prices Another thing which I can uh, suggest would be the transfer pricing scenarios. Hmm. Uh, that's that's one of the big headaches we have now. Now we're also looking at carbon emission models, hmm. right? Uh, how such models are being actually inculcated into AI and machine learning to actually enhance the understanding of who pays for carbon emissions. Hmm. Yeah, that's very crucial, right? That's very important now because we want to know which companies can actually reduce their carbon emissions, right? In this way, they don't have to pay a penalty. Those who emit more, they have to pay a certain penalty, right? At times by their population, times their profit. Uh, that's how they look at, right? Um, like for the company which I worked in as a uh, project engineer, document engineer, uh, one of the things which was important was when I took over the position is to actually collect as much historical data for projects itself and using that to actually formulate some kind of modeling to see how errors in different, what were the errors and how those errors could be squeezed out using a forecasting model, an error-free model. So using an econometrics technique, which is basically the, uh, what you call the Bros, uh, Bayesian rule or what you call the uh, Bros Pagan testing. Ah. You can use those kind of testing to actually minimize and find out the probability of these errors along the line, right? So, but the, the key fact is data has to be organized in a very clear way, very intellect, uh, very clearly uh, placed so that it's easily retrievable, uh, and also at the same time, you store it, you can explore it and have real-time operation and extraction. 
using that we can actually predict and optimize it so that newer projects which might be very similar to what we are looking from historical aspect of things can actually eradicate the delay we can straight go from having document we know this project this is how these models will work go ahead push it down the production line right so having this data nicely organized and clearly um, stored allows ai and uh, modeling to actually uh, quicken the efficiency thanks for sharing with me that two use cases like one was the the pricing of the different hall information and and then you're talking about the various other models that you tried on mm. carbon pricing and um, you know price elasticity so hi guys thanks for listening to this podcast if this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon.